Hi, this is Simona Di Silvestro, and you're listening to More Front Wing. Hello and welcome to another More Front Wing podcast. I'm Steph Walcraft, joined by my co-editor Paul Dalby, and we're very well happy to welcome to the podcast. Actually, we have two guests on this week for the very first time. A little later on, we're going to speak with Penske Racing's Will Power, who was very forthcoming and uh, candid in his answers to my questions about some of the events in IndyCar over the past couple of weeks and um, his impressions of uh, the the rising campaign to uh, have Bo Barfield ousted from race control and a number of other topics. So that'll be coming up a little bit later on. And we're also happy to welcome for the first time a guest from autoracing1.com. This is Brian Carocho. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Great to have you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be on. Great. So uh, one of the main reasons why we decided to have Brian on this week, not that we wouldn't have him on anyway, <laughs> but uh, one of the main reasons we chose this week in particular is because Brian is a native of the Baltimore area and um, was in attendance this past weekend. So let's get started on sort of a nice, light, positive note, Brian, and get your sort of lifestyle uh, desk impressions of uh, how the city of Baltimore um, took on this race this year and uh, what the crowd was like and that sort of thing. Uh, well, I guess the, the first thing to start with is, is Baltimore, and um, I don't think I'm making a critical statement here, but Baltimore is not a racing crowd. It's, a, it is, it's not a racing-knowledgeable crowd. Now, I will say it's a curious crowd. Um, they're into giving IndyCar a try. They're curious about the sport. They're very interested in the drivers. They love the international flavor of the field. Um, they love that drivers come from all over the world. They kind of welcome it as this sort of international carnival type event uh, to Baltimore. Um, but they are not terribly racing knowledgeable, much less IndyCar knowledgeable. Um, but I've, I've, I've long told people that Baltimore is a city with kind of this unique civic pride. Um, you know, it's nestled. It's north of Washington. Uh, south of Philly and New York, it's kind of the forgotten city on the East Coast. And Baltimoreans will, I guess, support events that showcase Baltimore in a positive light. And that's how they see IndyCar. And so they're, they're supporting the event, and they're coming out in pretty good numbers. I've talked to the promoters, and I think, you know, kind of doing some guesswork, it looks like they had around 135,000 people come through the gate three days. And I think the city has embraced the event. Uh, the the articles in the Baltimore Sun and the Baltimore Business Journal were very positive. Um, I just think it's a matter of finding a date, uh, you know, for the race going forward. Right, which we understand is difficult because um, apparently there's a little football game happening on Labor Day yeah. next year. Uh-oh, yeah, here comes the Steph Diatribe. <laughs> huh? I don't know a thing about college football. Don't look at me. We've talked about well, Diatribe. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, local Navy is, uh, is, is, is playing in Baltimore. Navy's, you know, about a half hour away in Annapolis. And then you have Ohio State. And, um, yeah, Ohio State has a rather large contingent in Baltimore. And they're playing at Ravens Stadium. And, you know, if you've been to the event, you know they use the Ravens parking lot, uh, the Orioles parking lot, and then the convention center. And if you tie one of those down, then it really sort of holds the, you know, it really sort of shuts the whole thing down. So, um, 
I think if they can get a date, I, I really think, and, and I, I don't want to sound like a hometown cheerleader here, but I really think that this has all the makings of a fabulous event for IndyCar. Um, it's just it's a matter of getting a date. And I've, I went through the schedule today, you know, kind of just looking at it, and I was just, this is actually before the Brazil stuff came out, but I was just like, I don't know where it's going to fit in, you know, just moving all the way around. And that Mark Miles wants to condense things down by Labor Day. I just, I really don't know where it's going to fit. We're going to talk about all of that later on. Um, okay. But just on a lark, what time of year do you think would be a nice time of year in Baltimore to go hang out in the Inner Harbor for the weekend? Uh, September and October. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. I, I, I think I think right now uh, with Labor Day, it, it maybe is a week or two early, but I think that Labor Day Labor Day is when the vendors want it. It's when the promoters want it. Um, I, I think that Labor Day is really perfect. You could maybe go with May uh, or April. April tends to rain a lot around here. May is usually very nice, but of course, May in IndyCar, there's a big race. Kind of tied up, yeah. Yes. Um, so I think the ideal weekend for it is the one that it's on now. And what I hope is that it ultimately settles in the Labor Day weekend spot. I think that, that would be a really good spot for it going forward. I think that would uh, that would at least be really good for the area. Of course, it's about making it work with IndyCar, too, and that's up in the air right now. So since we know for a fact that at least for the next couple of years, Labor Day is not an option, you don't want to go too far from that. You're thinking maybe a week or two swing one one way or the other? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you go a week up, you're, you're into Sonoma. If you go, you know, two weeks up, I suppose that might work. I will say that um, I... Everybody in this area, you know, tends to go to their beach house this time of year, except me. Um, uh, August, this area tends to empty out a little. By Labor Day, people are back in town with getting the kids back to school and such. Um, but, you know, if, if, if they can keep it, the main thing is that they keep it going. Um, and I, I would just like to see that. And if they had to do it in August for a couple of years, I think that that would be a fine compromise. Okay, well, there you go. The local expert gives it to us yeah. straight. <laughs> so, um, obviously, the big, big talking point of the weekend was, um, well, there were there were a few things that were fairly big talking points, but I think the, the one that's high, highest on everybody's mind is uh, the incident between Will Power and Scott Dixon that ended Scott Dixon's day and uh, the, the fallout from that incident. It just so happens that earlier uh, I had the chance to speak with Will Power and he um, clarified the uh, the happenings in that instance, as well as the the uh, incident in pit lane in uh, Sonoma, as well, he um, has spoken with Travis Law since that time and told us what he uh, what he learned from that conversation. Um, he also gave us some really good insights about his uh, opinion of. Bo Barfield's uh, position in race control and how he's doing and uh, made some suggestions that uh, could be uh, interesting and, and we very well may see going forward on uh, compromising on the double file restarts and making it work across the schedule. So uh, let's actually give a listen to Will Power and uh, my interview from earlier today with him right now. Steph Walcraft, morefrontwing.com. Very pleased to be sitting down for a chat with Penske Racing. Prensky Racing's Will Power. Will, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Yeah, no problem. 
So uh, lots to talk about, obviously, with uh, a lot of action um, in your end of things for the last couple of races. Definitely looking to give you just a chance to uh, let people know sort of what's been happening through your eyes in all of these incidents uh, through Sonoma and Baltimore. So let's start with the most recent one and sort of work our way backwards. Um, obviously, the big talk right now is uh, the incident between you and Scott Dixon, where um, it appeared that you sort of just moved over into him and of course he had some sort of angry words for you after the race maybe you could just uh, for the people at home walk us through the incident as you saw it um, through your eyes and and fill us in on sort of how it went from the cockpit um, yeah okay basically um, we were coming there for a double file restart um, and uh, I was lining up behind Sebastian Bourdais and uh, actually, I didn't even know. I, you know, the last time I saw Dixon, he was getting spun out in front of me, and um, you know, I didn't even know where he was lining up, basically. Um, and uh, so I didn't even know that he was behind me. I don't know, you know, I didn't even look in my mirror to be honest, because you come out of the chicane and the uh, the restart cones are almost immediately after that, so you, you are just focusing on getting a run of the guy in front, which was Bourdais, um, and I did. I got a good run, kind of hung back, and then, um, you know, had a run on him, got to his gearbox, pulled out, and then, you know, ended up, you know, ended up in the wall, kind of had a moment and ended up in the wall, much to my surprise, and I, I was thinking, was that, like just the pickup on the tires, cold tires, or I hit a bump. I mean, I didn't even know what happened. Well, I got back to pits and kind of said to those, uh, said to the guys in the pit box, you know, sorry guys, I, I just lost it in a straight line. Um, and then, you know, yada, yada. And basically, you know, they said, well, um, I think Dixon was up your inside. I was like, oh, you know, much to my surprise. And then it kind of dawned on me what had happened. And uh, yeah, so... You know, man, uh, feel very bad for what happened, very bad for Scott. You know, he's a very fair racer and he's been, you know, the last couple of races he's been very quick. Um, and, um, you know, I just hated it, hated to uh, ruin his day like that and mine. Um, so, you know, we've spoken since and, uh, you know, he's... Uh, you know, he understands what happens, you know, and he's obviously frustrated with a few other things as well that had happened during the day, but um, obviously that uh, that one ended his day. So, yeah, not not a good uh, not a good thing at all. So you didn't even realize until you were back in the pits that he had been behind you. Obviously, you're aware of the optics of the situation that, you know, you're a teammate to the guy who's in the lead of the championship. But, but I mean, this sounds like it's being repetitive, but just to make it absolutely clear – this was not in any way intentional? Uh, absolutely not. There's no way in a million years that I would crash myself in order to crash someone else. Um, no, absolutely not. It, you know, the, the the long short of it is I didn't look in my mirror because I did not even think to look in my mirror because I didn't think anyone would have the run that I had on Bourdais. So basically... The run I had on Bourdais, Dixon actually had even a better run on me, and obviously he was pulling out, he pulled out, you know, a second early, and then as I got to Bourdais' gearbox, I pulled out to pass him, and his nose got my, or his front wing got my uh, rear guard, and that's that's it. You know, absolutely not intentional. I mean, you know, 
it just we can't you just you know you can't play those type of games in IndyCar. It's too dangerous. Uh, it just is. You just can't. You know, I, I don't think anyone in the paddock would do that. I just couldn't imagine anyone doing something like that deliberately. I mean, it's crazy. Right. You know, I don't know anyone in racing who crash themselves to crash someone else. I mean, that's kind of, that's pretty insane. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take another further look back then uh, on the incident at Sonoma, the other sort of big story of the last couple of weeks. Do you know Travis well enough to to be able to say one way or another what his motivations were? And have you spoken to him specifically about the incident in the pits with with the contact with Dixon? Yes, I have actually. Uh, yeah, I do know Travis well, and um, you know he's he was he was really upset at the reaction of people. Um, you know the fact that they'd say that he'd actually walk in front of a car deliberately. Um, you know, so he was like very, very upset. Uh, um, and, you know, he's not the type of, I don't know anyone who would actually do that either. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would actually want to get bowled over by a car risking breaking your neck or, you know, serious injury? And, um, you know, and he does that every single time. He does that exact movement every single time. You can go and watch every pit stop of this year. And Travis has done the same thing, so um, you know that's. Well, I don't know. You know, I, I just I kind of understand the situation and how that all happened. Um, you know, basically earlier in the day, I beat Dixon out um, and, and gained a position on him. So you know, I guess he was really thinking, this is for the race win, and um, you know these guys beat me out one more time he kind of he took a little bit more room than he had in the past um not you know uh, uh you know as you do if you're really trying to get out and it just it just happened to collect travis's tire you know it was a matter of a few inches to be honest mm-hmm. um that, that, that caused that incident but at the end of the day you know the penalty uh, it's it, I just think you cannot, I mean, if someone gets knocked over, I mean, if we start being allowed to barrel people over in pit lane I mean, or being lenient on that, you know, what What are you you're setting a standard that's just, you know, people are going to start getting hurt. You just can't. I mean, no one would have said a, a word had, had the guy laid there with a broken neck or was seriously injured. Mm-hmm. carried away on the stretch and no one would have said a word. The fact that he actually fortunately got up, you know, people uh, kicked up a big stink. But man, you can't... I mean, you get a penalty for running over pit hose in pit lane if you're leaving. And, you know, to, if they say, oh, well, well, looks like a bit of a, you know, a mistake or whatever, we, you know, we will let it go. I mean... Man, what does that you know? What does that say to all the other drivers? It's okay to leave the pits and hit someone, right? So when you put all of that together, um, and looking at the reactions that people have had to sort of be very quick to blame uh, Penske and the organization mm-hmm. as a whole in all these situations, what's your what's your reaction to that? And how do you sort of feel about people being very quick to to say that you guys are being unsportsmanlike? Um, well. Put it this way, people never surprise me. You know, it just what else would you expect from people? That's what they do. 
especially people who have nothing to do with it. You know, they have their opinions that you know, hey, who gives it? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's their opinion. They have every right to it. But it kind of dis- disappoints me, you know. You know, especially in the Travis Law incident. I mean, that just I just blew me away. Some of the people on Twitter. I mean, that would actually think someone would walk in front of a car. You know, to me, shame on those people. But, um, you know, in my incident, fair enough. I mean, it, you know, Dixon is in the championship and he's fighting with my teammate. Um, of course, people are going to say the same thing. But, I mean, it, it's just, that is humans. And what about the fact that it's not, I mean, to, to say it about people sort of armchair um officiating from Twitter is one thing, but you've had people from within Ganassi who have been sort of very quickly after after both races saying that that, uh, that some of the actions within Penske have been unsportsmanlike. Do, does that get a different reaction from you? Well, I, I understand from them because obviously they're in a battle for the championship and, you know, the, their emotions are high. Everyone's are at, at the actual racetrack. Um, you know, especially because they'd been running so well all day and, um, you know, even for the last two races, I mean, they've been running so well, I feel bad. You know, to me, Dixon's been the strongest guy in the second half of the season and he hasn't been able to capitalize on that because of unfortunate things happening. So, yeah, you know, of course, they're going to weigh on the side of, uh, of, you know, on their side of the story, um, of their side of the incident. So, you know, you know, things are said in the heat of the moment, and often they're just, you know, when people, everyone's got a cool head and they're sitting about and thinking about it, and you know, they really, um, uh, you know, come to a reasonable explanation of what happened. Right. What about um, you and Dario? Things seem to sort of be getting increasingly frosty relations between you two. We we know that there's been some ongoing um, harsh words exchanged here and there, but uh, after the incident at Sonoma, it seemed especially bad. Have you spoken to, to Dario since, and do you feel like there's some, some more tension there? Um, yeah, he was he was very... Uh, I, I, you know, we, we have spoken since, and, um, you know, we're all good. There's no problem there, and uh, you know he's a, he's a guy I respect a lot. Very uh, fierce competitor, and um, basically on that last restart, I was on the inside of him, and we kind of touched a little bit, and um, you know he lost the position to me, and then one other. Uh, so yeah, that's basically for the race win right there. So you know he was just a little upset, and and uh, but we're all good. You know, hey, there's a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of forceful type of driving that goes on in IndyCar now, and um, um, you know, <laughs> there's always people unhappy with people after a race. Well, you know, we're good. It's just funny. We've just had such a um, competitive relationship, you could say, in the last, you know, literally since I joined Penske. You know, I've been fighting with, fighting hard on the track with Dario, and um, you know, he's a good clean racer and uh um you know he's very quick and you know, I have respect for him and you know we just happen to have a few incidents that causes uh, a bit of friction but that's sport and you know and I think in every sport there's those types of uh relationships between people for sure so we're starting to hear um, people getting a little bit more vocal about being displeased with Bo Barfield and his officiating uh where do you stand on it 
I think I you know I don't I don't think Bo's done anything terribly wrong. Uh, yeah, I don't know where you know where where, where are you hearing that from? Other drivers or? Um, well, Dixon you know, actually came right out in his team release this week and said that he thought that Bo needed to be fired. Yeah, yeah, and you know I, I don't think it's just Bo making decisions up there. It's a whole group of people. So um, you know, there's probably four or five people that are in the control room. Um, you know, and I, it's, man, it's a tough job. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Whoever's done that job will tell you that it's just it's a thankless job. There's always going to be someone unhappy with your decision um, because there's always someone who gains from it and someone who loses from it. Um, so to me, it's just the it's just the hardest job that you could possibly have. Um, and you know, both the one that seems to have to face the music, even if it isn't ultimately his. You know, I think it's a group decision up there because they've got three other former drivers that uh, help in um, making the uh, decision on calls and so on. So, uh, yeah, man, you know, he's he's doing the best job with what he's got right now. And, um, you know, with Derek Walker in there, they're, they're definitely improving things. You know, I understand that they're going to start having, you know, stationary cameras around the, the track so they can officiate in a much more accurate and fair way. But right now it's a little bit difficult because they have to go off um, the actual TV cameras, which aren't, um, which don't always give the best angle and so on. So it's just a work in progress. Uh, you know, as the series becomes much more competitive, they obviously have to upgrade their equipment, like you know they have in Formula One, I guess NASCAR, um, to be able to officiate the uh, competition properly. Right. So let's look ahead now. Uh, coming into the doubleheader, the final doubleheader, obviously, of the season at, at Houston. Coming into that weekend, where, where's your head at? Are you, are you concerned at all about uh, getting a doubleheader weekend on a course that you more or less drove on in Champ Car in 2007, but, but maybe somewhat new? Uh, where, where are you thinking? What's your strategy going into the weekend? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the same strategy I've had all <laughs> For the, definitely in the second half of this year, which is really trying to win races, and um, that's just that's going to be it for me. I mean, going there and really, really trying to nail a good weekend, get everything right, you know, and uh, try to keep out of trouble. That's about it. And what about the fact that? Um... And this is such a typical question. I apologize. There's no different way to ask it, but uh, it is particularly poignant right now with your teammate being uh, in a position to win his first title. To what degree are you going into the weekend looking after yourself, and how much of it are you going into it looking after him and his title hopes? Well, basically, my approach with uh, you know helping Elio out is if he's around me, if I'm racing him, I'll race him in a very, very conservative way. Um, you know, but if he's if he's not around me, I'm just racing as I race. You know, I'm not even thinking about you know where he's at or what's happening. So you know, basically, if he if I'm in a position to help him, and you know he's behind me and he needs needs to gain position or whatever, um, I'll race him very very conservatively, and um, you know, uh, and then for me. I'm there, and the rest for me is just to try and win the race. I mean, that's one way I can definitely help him is winning races, taking points away from the guys that uh, he's fighting the championship. Right. 
Uh, last question, and let's go out on sort of a more philosophical note. You've talked a little bit about the fact that this is the first uh, title fight that you've been out of since you joined Penske full-time. Um, and you mentioned that you feel like you're a changed driver after uh, some of the difficulties that you had in the early part of the year. Can you sort of give us a glimpse into the mind of a racer and tell us um, what sorts of things you've been introspective about and, and be more specific about the things that, that you're hoping to change going into 2014? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is funny. I've definitely learned a lot this year and you know, my overall performance is uh, a lot stronger than it was last year. And, um, you know, I think my actual race craft and just being back in the pack a lot more and restarts and all that are a lot stronger as well. And, you know, obviously it definitely hasn't been a year that's, years I've had in the past, but uh, I really feel as though, you know, I've learned some really good lessons this year and also about myself and, motivation and um, all those types of things that uh, I will definitely use going into the, to the 2014 season and feel though I will be a more st- a stronger, more complete driver and, um, um, you know, really, really go after that title. Great. I lied. I have one more question. Did it look as crazy to you as it did to us uh, watching at home to be insisting on doing these double file restarts on the street courses? Well, it it is. It's becoming. Um, it's just. It's ridiculous. And uh, you know, I I I think that we should have double fall restarts on some of the ovals. You know, the super speedways. We don't really need it because it has such a long straight that a single file is just as exciting as a double. And I don't think we need them on street courses because all the tracks we go to. You know, they can barely fit two cars side by side. Uh, you know, in the turn one. So, yeah, I just think that, and and they are. I think they're going to have a good look at it. That you know, maybe we don't need to do them on street courses because I think single file can be just as exciting if it's done in the right way. Um, you know, because basically it's ruining the continuity of the race, and you know it has no no flow to it. We just you know, no, the fan, I don't think the fans just want to watch yellow after yellow after yellow because we can't get through turn one. So, you know, we are a, a series that you have to be very versatile in, so I think it's kind of cool if you had to do single-file restarts on street courses, double-file restarts on road courses and short ovals, and single-file restarts on uh, super speedways. I think that's you know, just adds to the diversity. And, um, you know, it's, and, and we also have standing starts, so it's, it's kind of it's pretty cool. I think if they did it that way. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Will, for your time and your very candid thoughts. Greatly appreciated and uh, really appreciate you joining us. Best of luck through the rest of the season. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Will. Fantastic of Will to join us and to have him on the podcast for the very first time. Uh, definitely overdue. Young Mr. Power, um, a pretty uh, pretty high-profile guy to talk to. He was very, very candid and uh, greatly appreciated his time. That last point that he made was an interesting one uh, about the double-file restarts and uh, possibly c- making the compromise of not doing them on street courses uh, but keeping them for road courses and, and short ovals. And uh, that makes an awful lot of sense to me. Certainly, um, I would have preferred to have seen fewer double file restarts at Baltimore, given the the, uh, the way that things consistently turned out. Um, 
and I have a question for you guys about about the later restart that was waved off. But let's chat about that a little bit first, and I'm going to ask you about that. What What do you guys think? Does that make a lot of sense to you, Brian? Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, it, it makes sense, uh, particularly for a place like Baltimore, where I, I went down to Turn One this week. This weekend, just sort of looked at it, and I mean, it is really, really narrow. And to put uh, you know, 10 rows, granted they only line up about three of the rows for any of the restarts anyway, but to put a few rows side by side through one of those corners, you are kind of asking for trouble. My concern would be that if you if you have this, well, we're doing single file restarts here and double file restarts there and, and um, you know, rolling start here and this start there, I, I wonder if you're kind of opening Pandora's box to – these drivers tend to be complaining about a lot of things right now anyway, if you're kind of sort of fueling the fire a little bit more. No, and that's uh, the point that I was actually about, that I was going to make, is that um, I think that delineating it somehow in a way that makes it a firm distinction is the only way to pull it off. And so I think right. saying we don't do this on any street course and not just sort of handpicking, okay, this isn't working at Baltimore and Toronto, but it's actually okay at Long Beach – that's going to take people off. So I think right. just sweeping, saying we don't do this at street courses anymore, but we're going to keep it for the road courses. That that is, it's clear cut, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Paul, any thoughts? I, I just think that they're getting carried away with too many different variations of rules in general. I think it's a bigger issue than just double file restarts. Okay, now you have double file restarts on street courses, but not on road courses or long ovals, but you have them on short ovals. You may have standing starts at some places. You may have rolling starts at some places. Some places we're going to qualify over two-lap average. Some places it's four-lap average. Some places it's Firestone Fast 6. There are so many variables that now the the operation standpoint, the logistics and, and how events are fundamentally run now are so variable from week to week to week that I think it, – it, I think you're really going to start to confuse the casual fan. We've talked about some things that happened during the race that confuse fans that seem really not that big of a deal to, to, to a lot of people. But now we are throwing so many variables into the pot. It feels like every week we're just going to reach into the hat and pick out a set of rules. And I, I, I just feel like we're, we're, we're doing way too many different variables uh, throughout a race weekend at this point. I, I think, think that if you could, you could take all of the people who would care about that very deeply and count them on two hands, mm. honestly. I think if you start the broadcast by saying, okay, this is Iowa, and so because it's Iowa, we're doing a rolling start, and we're doing double file restarts, and what was the other variable that you were concerned about? Oh, yeah, qualifying. There you go. Qualifying. Now, now heat races at Iowa. So what are we at, like four different types I of I think what you need there? to do is you need to make the – you need to put on each track type a formula in place that's going to make the event as entertaining for the fan as possible. What is not entertaining is spending whatever percentage – and I should have looked this up before we started recording. It was of Baltimore that we spent under yellow flag. It has to have been 50%. It was about race. a third. I think it was, yeah, I think, I think it was 25 laps, I think. It felt like forever, and that that nobody yeah. wants to see that. And so and it felt like forever for us watching it on TV. You know from your experience there, you're at the track. It seems even worse to watch 20 laps yeah. in a row. 
Yeah, right. you don't have DVR. <laughs> and so if that means that at street courses we need to do, you know, maybe maybe the the argument comes into play a little bit more as a, on the whole, you know, we're doing standing starts one race and rolling starts another on the double headers. Uh, okay, um, but. If, it, to me, if you're if you're just setting out a formula at the be at the beginning of the race broadcast, saying here's why we're doing this, and then what results is the most entertaining product possible for the fan watching at home, I really don't see people caring that much. Tires, as long yeah, as tires issues as well. As long as the, as long as the race is entertaining, and there's thought going into that as the ultimate desired end result, I, I really don't think that people care that much. There, there are precious few people right now who follow the series closely enough to want to analyze every single tiny detail like that as much as we do. And that's what we're all here for, right? We tell people, yeah. this is what's going on, this is what ha- what's happening, this is why. And I think that, that a lot of these um, casual fans that you speak of will just go, oh, okay, let's watch the race, hope it's good. And if it is, then then purpose served. Uh, I, to me, it just feels too, too variable from me. It's like going to sitting down and watching baseball over the course of the weekend. One day they allow wooden bats. Some days that's aluminum bats. Some days they're playing 10 infielder. Some days they're playing a 16 inch softball. Some days the bases are at 70 feet and 105 the next day. And I can't tell you that I've ever noticed or cared. If I sit down to watch a baseball game, I got a hot dog in one hand and a beer in the other. And I'm watching the balls fly from one end of the field to the other. And when my team scores a run, I cheer. And that's as much as I care about it. And you I don't think... cheer much in Toronto, though, do you? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my point is that for the vast majority of people who are there on a race weekend, they don't want to delve that deeply into it. And as long as if they ask the question, somebody has a good re- good answer, I don't think I don't I just don't see this being the problem that you're making it out to be. Yeah, I would I would just throw in the Baltimore crowd is definitely um not overly concerned. Um you know, maybe maybe some of the maybe some of the fan bases or some of the uh the, the race goers at other places, maybe in mid Ohio where you have sort of more of a uh of an educated, nuanced fan, they might be more concerned. But yeah, i would say a place like Baltimore, they wanna see um they wanna see racing. Um they like, you know, the excitement of it. And they kind of want to have fun. They want to go to a carnival atmosphere. And, yeah, they, they're not having this discussion. Right. Um, maybe at a place like mid-Ohio or some other places. And, and yeah, this discussion does tend to be amongst people like us. Um, they're, they're having this discussion. But with the diversity of circuits, Baltimore is not a place where they're having this discussion. Right. So let's, uh, let's move on to talk about the um, – tendency that we've seen lately and willpower shied away from this so that was that was notable but um scott dixon certainly has not in recent days of um certain people to call for the race director's head and it's become once again very vocal and uh more or less the focal point of a lot of the discussion around indycar right now so I'm going to pose this question to Paul first because uh, he was complaining to me offline that I'm not letting him talk enough. <laughs> yes, I'm going to call you out on that so you don't do it again. Thanks, um, Steph. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm we'll be posting outtakes from other more <laughs> podcasts by uh, Monday. Look for those. <laughs> oh, dear. I know. I'm sure you've got some dirt on me that I don't need exposed. But anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's put this one to you to start. A, do we need to stop people? I'm swallowing the word because it was it was one that wouldn't get past the censors. Um, 
complaining violently about race control and Bo Barfield in particular, and B, what should be done, if if anything. They're indie car drivers. They always complain about race control when something goes against them. It's just what they do. Uh, Is that okay, in your opinion? I think so. I mean, again, you, you go... Is it is somebody not going to watch the race because Scott Dixon's complaining about race control? Well, is it Derek really? Walker certainly thinks so. Did you see his interview with, uh, I think it was Marshall Pruitt today I, at Racer? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I mean, there, there's a, a certain uh, uh, decorum, I guess, amongst professional sporting sanctioning bodies that, you know, officials are kind of off limits. You don't, you don't vocally complain about umpires or referees. Um, you understand that they're human and they they are they're doing the best they can. Um, you know, Scott is probably justified in his frustration. Is it probably the best way to express his frustration? Mm, maybe not. <laughs> but again, I would prefer, and I think I speak for most of the fan base here. I think I would prefer the drivers err on the side of showing more passion more emotion when they're upset i want to know they're upset i don't want to see scott just oh okay i got taken out of this race well i'm gonna go talk to Derek on tuesday when i've had a chance to cool off no i want to know what he's thinking right away of course he's mad what you know is this revelation that he's upset he just got taken out of the race again uh, for the second week in a row on a controversial call? No. Right, but what we're discussing here is not the fact that he got taken out and was mad at Will. That's one thing. What we're right. talking about is the fact that he was mad because Bo, or he named Bo, I don't think it was ultimately Bo's decision, which is another right. problem, but um, but that race control wouldn't allow his car to be towed back to pit lane so that they could repair it. His opinion was that the damage was fairly minimal. He seemed to think that it was some suspension damage that could have been repaired before the um, the 10 lap. The, the rule is, I think, with 10 laps to go, they won't allow a repaired car to re-enter the race. But he, I think the, the incident happened with 17 to go, and he was of the opinion that they would have been able to fix it in time to get him back out, and they wouldn't tow the car back to pit lane they, they insisted on towing it back to the garage um, and that's where he started getting vocal about about the issues with race control so um i guess my thought was that derek made a really good point when he said that if fans see that on television all that they're seeing is is that the drivers in in, in their own series are saying that the officials in the series are idiots and who would want to watch that uh, see, I, I I just don't buy that argument. I think. Wow, you're really being a negative Nancy today. I'm not being a negative. You are. You're being so cantankerous. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> I I just don't see it driving fans away. I think if anything, it attracts them. Fans want to see. Uh, fans want to see controversy, but they don't yeah. want to. They don't need to see controversy between the series and the drivers. Why? Between the, Why between the drivers and other drivers, and between the drivers and the teams. Sure, that's competition. But that's but between the drivers and the officials in the series, that's that's different. Brian, you got to break this yeah. tie. Yeah, I, yeah. I would make a distinction here in that if. Um, if, if Dixon is criticizing the call, if he goes, it's a BS call and, you know, I can't believe it and we got, you know, we got jobbed and I disagree, I, I have no problem with that. I, I think that that's human and that's, that's sort of natural. I think when you go on record 
um, to a journalist a day or two afterwards and call the race director, um, the, the head of race control, who's responsible for safety, uh, who is responsible for administering cars at high speeds and making proper decisions, and you go on air and you go on record, you call that person an idiot. I think that that is a serious credibility issue for the series. And he didn't I, just say it to a reporter; it was in the team's press release. He said yeah. in the team's press release, "Bo needs to be fired." I have never yeah. seen anything like that in my life. Now you know, and those I, I think though. I mean that's calling. That's calling IndyCar into question. I mean, that's what Derek Walker said. I mean, Derek Walker's basically saying, look, he's calling us idiots, mm-hmm. and and he's making a living here, and he's doing this with impunity, and I have a big problem with that. I have a, I have a big problem with, for better or worse, and I'm not necessarily standing up here and defending Bo Barfield, but for better or worse, Bo Barfield is the guy who's got an, a very important job of administering safety, of controlling these races, and if you just have drivers who, whenever they don't get their way, are allowed to call him an idiot and say that he should be fired, I think you have a problem. And again, if Dixon's mad, like what happened at Sonoma, where he used language and stuff, that was kind of in the heat of the moment, and he came on the show and said, hey, that wasn't me, I felt bad. You know what? No problem. Sort of life goes on. But to do it, in the way, in the team's press release, as you pointed out, he said it to Kirk Cavan. He just called him an idiot on on record. I think that that's a real credibility issue. And the other thing, kind of a larger issue, is that in IndyCar, we have this whole thing or, or that we don't get our way. Well, let's break out the pitchforks and let's sort of run this <laughs> the, the latest administrator, you know, out of town, and then everything will be hunky-dory. But, you know, that kind of – Mindset has been around way too long, and to me, that kind of thing has to end. If this is ever going to be a major league sport, if it's ever going to be a credible sport, this whole breaking out the pitchforks when you don't get your way, and you know, making fun of uh, making fun of the guy's hair like Mike Holt did the other night, that stuff has to end. And I, I just that stuff that that kind of stuff bothers me. Criticize You're run out the call. of people who want to put up with it eventually. Yeah, exactly. Criticize the call. Um, I even don't mind Dixon. I, I thought it was a little out of bounds. Uh, you know, I don't know what on earth Tim Sindrick has ever done. Um, I thought that was a little out of bounds. But, you know, if he wants to, you know, play play mean with Tim Sindrick, okay, I'm okay with that. That's kind of a rivalry. Um, if he wants to, you know, talk um, garbage or talk trash about willpower, okay, Will's a big boy. He can handle that. But to just go on air and just say, oh, yeah, the race director's an idiot, everybody knows that, um, I, I, I have no tolerance for it. I think that that's way out of bounds. Paul, you've been trying to butt in. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, Paul. I, I think what Brian says makes a lot of sense, and I, I think I am probably closer to his opinion than, than where I was, you know, what I had said previously. Certainly going against calls and saying this was an awful call, we got jobbed, certainly that's that's within yeah. bounds. Um yeah. I, th- I think what I didn't have a problem with Dixon's comments right away, you know, and, and we always criticize the PR folks for, um, you know, kind of over sanitizing all the drivers, which is why it was shocking to see those comments in, in Ganassi's post race. I'm really surprised that their director of PR went ahead and put those in there. Um, but those comments saying, uh, you know, that he was totally inconsistent and he needs to be fired 
you know, that first round of comments were taken right after he had gotten out of the car, right post-race. So I, I can forgive him for those comments. But, Brian, I totally agree with the comments that come, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday yeah. when he's had, you know, 48 or 72 hours to, to chew on it and cool off, and he still goes out of his way to, to make these these inflammatory comments that, you know, again, like you said, basically calling the race director or IndyCar in general full of idiots and that they all need to be fired. And yeah, it does get old very quickly because we've been down, we've had seen this song and dance before. We saw yeah. it with Randy Bernard. We saw it with Brian Barnhart. We knew it was eventually coming with Bo Warfield. It was just a matter of who, you know, ran with the ball to start with. Uh, we, right. We've known that, that Ganassi racing in general hasn't been um, necessarily had Bo Barfield on their Christmas card list for quite some time now. Um, you know, since about Milwaukee I, 2012, I would think. Yeah, I mean that was probably the the start of it, I would guess. But certainly the events at Toronto this year with Dario didn't help, though. You know, I, right. I would say that wasn't RCL didn't race control though. Okay, I have one more thought that I want to throw into the ring on this, and then we'll move on. There is no other, not only motorsport. There is no other sport in the world that would tolerate this without some sort of punishment, whether it be uh, points standings or a financial fine or something of that nature. NASCAR would have drawn the line far before Bo was even being called an idiot. And that I think would have Dixon been... would be failing a drug test or something. Yeah, I think I think we would be seeing that, that he might be uh, sitting on the sidelines for a little while. And we're all very familiar with the fact that they're they're pretty clear on the fact that this is our sandbox, and if you want to play, you're going to follow yeah. our rules. Yeah. Should IndyCar be doing more of that, in your opinion, guys? Uh, definitely more than they've done so far. Um, I, I think yeah, I think a hefty fine's in order. I think. This is, I think this is, I don't want to say a defining moment for Derek Walker, but I think Derek Walker needs to call Scott Dixon and say, look, there's a way to do this, there's a way not to do this, uh, you're way out of line, here's a fine, and if this kind of thing happens again, it's going to be more than a fine. I think that that's where you start. Right. Paul? I don't know. I, I, it seems like that's been the precedent before when, when people, uh, you know, how much was Saavedra fined for? Uh, for throwing the birds on TV at, at Detroit. Oh, that's know? a censor thing, though. That's a completely different thing. Yeah, that's I think that, that I think I this is a lot worse. It's a different thing, but you know, I think people start looking at these fines and probations and double secret suspensions and all these things. And well, no, but that's why it, it can't be double secret. It needs to be very upfront, and it needs to be Derek. And I think Derek is, is yeah. wise enough that he will handle it this way. It needs to be Derek putting his foot down and saying, "Look." This is from this point forward how this is going to be handled. These are the here are the tiers of punishment. Um, this is how we're going to assess how much you're going to be punished. And Scott, guess what? You're victim number one. And I suspect that that's precisely what we'll see sometime in the coming days. Yeah, I, I hope so. I I think that this is different than Saavedra. Uh, I, I hope that that's the case. I, Savage's again, fine was not a series fine. It was an FCC yeah. fine. That's a that's a total censor thing. That's got nothing to do right. with what we're talking about here. Will Power, his double birds, could have possibly drawn the FCC fine and then one of these types of fines if they had been doing that sort of thing then. But that's well. And but he was. That's right. He was penalized by the series. Yes. He was penalized by the series. 
So and, and, so and I remember the fallout from that to, being the fans were uh, many of them were incredulous, saying, "Wait, yeah, he expressed his views, but race control screwed up." Is that different? Did race control screw up here? I think to me that that, that doesn't matter as much. I, I, again, I think that if if he two days later goes and says the guy's an idiot, I have a real problem with that. I, I have less of a problem with what Power did. Okay, that was again emotion. Um, maybe that was that, that was a little bit harsh at the time to come down. I have a much bigger problem with what is going on now with Dixon than I did with Power or Saavedra or even like what Dixon did at Sonoma where he used the language on TV. Well, I, I, think but, but I guess the different thing, too, is that Powers was never meant to be caught on TV. He didn't know he was on camera when he did that. He was just walking you're down. You're a driver in the paddock after a race. You have to assume you're yeah, right. yeah, I don't, yeah, I I would. don't know about that. No, I, don't, I, think, I think that walking down pit lane and angrily throwing your birds up at sort of the phantom place where race control is located when a camera happens to be on you is yeah. a very different situation from having a microphone shoved in your face and saying Bo Far- Barfield is an idiot. In, because intention is different there. Right. And, and, and power, was, power was right. <laughs> like That's another thing. Is power was very correct in that particular instance right. for what that's worth. So Nothing. Yeah. Anyway, we can yeah. we can sit in armchair at all we want. I think I think what we're ultimately getting to here is that the, the ball is in Derek Walker's court, and it would not be surprising to see him uh, to, to see him send it back sometime in the next few yeah. days. So we this may very well have to end. I just this stuff has to end. I, yeah. in my opinion. Well, we may very well see more of this before we get to Houston. So. Yes. So um, let's talk about a few other things that have been going on in the last little while. I want to run this by you two. Um, as you and uh, some of our listeners know, I spent last weekend at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, which is uh, much better known as Movesport. They found um, title sponsorship a little over a year ago. Um, covering the you, didn't, you didn't punch any drivers? I was not responsible for the slap that was heard <laughs> around the world, as, uh, as my editor at the Star has uh, yes. taken to calling it. Um, nor was I anywhere near it. I was in the press okay. room when the, when the three drivers that were on the podium saw the footage and lost their minds laughing their butts off oh. at it, but that's a different matter. Um, so, yes, I was I was covering the NASCAR Canadian Tire Series race, but there was a surprising amount of discussion about IndyCar in the press room there, and none of it was positive. Um, I suppose that shouldn't be a surprise. All the cool kids are making fun of IndyCar these days. But um, So I've got a couple of different things that I want to I wanna throw at you guys. Here's the first one. Norris McDonald, the um, the editor of Wheels at Toronto Star, seems to be absolutely firmly of the opinion. Not not sorry, opinion's not even the right word. He seems to be quite determined that KV Racing is going to fold next year. Has either of you heard anything like that? Uh, I have heard some things, and I've maybe noticed some elements of the possibility that Cal Coven is losing interest. But Vassar has at least a couple times to, um, to to people I know said that KV is going to continue and that KV plans to go forward. Um, but th- th- that's a weird dynamic because if they lose Tony and then Simona is – 
she's year to year, and Simona has her own people. She has her own backing, and Simona's sponsorship is very much part of Sino- uh, not Sonoma, Simona. Her sponsorship is very much attached to her. If that goes away, if they lose both Tony and Simona, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to be able to go out and hire drivers or if they're going to have a sponsor. I mean, this choice almost, it could it could be made for them mm. in a way. I, but Vassar has said a couple of times that they plan on continuing. Well, it might not be completely up to him. Paul, have you heard anything? Yep. I have not heard anything, but I'm not totally shocked to hear that either. I think very similar to what Brian was just expressing. I mean, you've got Tony Kanaan, who's coming off possibly the most popular Indianapolis 500 victory in the last 30 years, and they're not able to secure sponsorship for him. Uh, Simona, um, it seems to me when that deal was announced like three years ago when she was back at HVM Racing that that was a three-year deal with with the uh, nuclear energy uh, folks, which I believe the three years are over at the end of this year. Um, so th- whether or not that program continues uh, as Simona's backing, I don't know if we'll see that or not. So, yeah, if you lose Tony and you lose Simona, yeah, you, you wonder where, where that team goes from there. I mean, they've survived off the Lotus for a couple of years, um, the Lotus backing. Uh, they lost that. Um I, I can certainly see uh, see the possibility uh, being a real possibility for sure. Yeah, I'll also add Kevin Kalkoven was very disappointed when the Delta Wing didn't go through, um, and he really thought that not so much the car, but he thought that the Delta Wing was really going to sort of create a new type of industry for IndyCar, and. Again, he's you know he's the he's the big money in that I've got to assume, and I just yeah I mean this is speculation here, but I, I'm seeing sort of enough things adding up where yeah this could be a possibility where it doesn't you know exactly where they don't exactly continue, and I think Chevy is is looking seriously at Ganassi as well, and I was wondering where they're going to get the extra cars, and that would sort of make sense too. Speaking of losing Tony Kanaan, um, we've also seen pretty strong uh, indications coming out of Brazil. Everybody in North America has been saying that the Brazil race is on and there's nothing to worry about, but it seems uh, the talk in Brazil is quite the opposite. Band TV um, has reportedly canceled the contract and uh, everybody in Brazil seems to be packing up, so... Uh, that would seem to explain where where the uh, the well has run dry on the Brazil end of things. So, more bad news. A lot of people will be sad to see that one go. A lot of uh, people who had to travel down there might not be, but um, certainly it was an interesting track and it was very entertaining. And uh, it's a it's a shame to see it go, and it's a shame to see that the fans who have supported it will not uh, will not have a race to to support. But we've been there before too, haven't we? So. Yeah, I don't know what to believe coming out of there. Um, it's it's very. I was looking. I was reading through a few of those translated articles today, and it's just it's very uh, convoluted. It seems, um, but it, yeah, it, it looks like it's not going to happen. So, um, and looking at it, if if the road course race at IMS is going to be May 10th, and Long Beach is already set for April 13th, 
I wonder if there's going to slot something into that month-long stretch there between Long Beach and the IMS road course race. I would think they would have to. Yeah, and I wonder what event it's going to be. But um, We could talk about now about the IMS road course race. I think Paul and I have made <laughs> our opinions very well known over the past few weeks, so I doubt that either right. of us really has anything to add. Did you want to toss anything into the ring, Brian? Sure. Um, I guess it's complicated. I don't object to it like so many seem to do. I would say I, I think there are better ideas. Uh, one better idea, I think, would be, and, and a couple of people have dismissed this, but I think it would be a really good idea to have an all-star type event on the Oval two weeks before the 500. Uh, this, it would be a couple things. Is One, you wouldn't, First off, you, you wouldn't have to go through all the conversion and stuff back and forth between road course and, and oval trim. You could have a kickoff event that isn't sort of just another IndyCar race. It's kind of its own unique event. And you also have a showcase for the drivers who are going to be participating in the Indianapolis 500. But um, I will say this. I'm of the opinion that something ultimately needs to be done about May. Whether the road course race is the correct answer, I'm not sure. But Mark Miles had a good point this weekend is opening up those gates and letting and with 7,000 people coming into that place and watching those cars just drone around for two weeks isn't cutting it anymore. And something needs to be done to get eyes on Indianapolis before the 500 because, of course, with ABC's coverage uh, – what happens is they show up race day morning and there's no introduction to Indianapolis. You need to do something to get people's eyes on Indianapolis prior to the 500. And what's currently being done is not doing that. So I'm for the IMS road course race over nothing at all. I don't think the IMS road course race is the best idea, if that makes any sense. I think I can hear the steam exiting Paul's ears from here at yeah, the idea no, of I'm... having an all-star race in Indianapolis in May. <laughs> Karen, uh, I, I actually, the, the more I, I've chewed on this whole road course thing, I, I think the less less frosty I've become to it. Um, because ultimately, when push comes to shove, whether I like it or not, I'll be there. <laughs> I mean, that, that's yeah. the honest truth. I mean, I'm going to be there whether I like it or not. So, if they're going to do it, it's just one more week, and I'm going to be in Indianapolis in May. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Uh, the all-star race, I don't really like that idea. Why? Especially on the oval. Um, you know, for an all-star you, you race, you're going to assume probably, what, half of the, the, the standard IndyCar field. So if you're talking about a 26-car field, you're talking maybe 13 to 15 cars running on the oval for some period of time. To me, that's just... You know, you put 15 Indy cars on on a two and a half mile track, and you're getting pretty uh, pretty. Well, you could have a prelim. You could have a prelim. You could have kind of a main event where I don't know 15 cars qualify for the All Star race, and then you have kind of a prelim where the top five then go through. So you have 20 cars running. I think uh, I, it's something like that. I don't you know. know. I think what what if they're going to do the road course thing? I I would like to see them do something almost of a of a speed weeks type of thing. Where I mean, you're going to run the road course one weekend. I guess you're going to have opening week. I don't have the calendar. I haven't looked at. It, I guess if they're talking about running the tenth, then that would put it what opening weekend of of practice. I guess right. Right. 
Okay, so you're going to have that weekend, then you're going to qualify, then you're going to run the race. You know, if you want to do an all-star race or something completely different to, to maybe pique curiosity, you know, maybe for a year or two, what about getting – you want to take your top uh, top 16 drivers, top 18 drivers, take them out to IRP. I was just going to say the exact same thing. Go put them in a, in a sprint car, a midget out at IRP. See what they can I, do out there. Something totally I, I different. I think not only do you – you you bring a totally different dynamic to that month. You bring a different crowd there. I think you you show these guys versatility. Now you're running 500 mile race, the greatest race in the world. You're running a road course event, and now you're going to run them on a little five eight mile bull ring out there in a car that they've you know likely never you know throw throw Ed Carpenter out of the mix. None of these guys have probably ever sat in before. How cool would that be? And I think you would gain some real curiosity. Maybe it's a one or two year curiosity, I admit, but I think you 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 do something different. You shake it up. I, I agree that I think we need to get out of this rut of just opening weekend qualifying race. And as you said, and I've beaten this Brian, I've beaten this drum for the last couple of years. Is ABC's coverage? Um, you know, you can talk about the race day coverage and and whether the announcing booth is cutting or the production booth or or what they're doing. But the fact is that they don't even start their IndyCar season until Sunday morning on race day. They're not doing any of the practice leading up to it. They're not doing any qualifying. They don't do carb day. They basically, I'm not, I don't want to say they show up because they're there during the week, but they're not on the air. They're not no. promoting their product on the air no. until, it, in, until you know an hour before the race on race day. Uh, a couple times, ABC and ESPN have done uh, the St. Petersburg race, I couldn't tell you when the last year they did it, maybe 2010, maybe. But I think yep. the last couple of years, Indianapolis has been the first race of the year that they've actually aired. So yep. there's no IndyCar coverage coming into the month. If you get ABC or ESPN to buy into this, maybe they they use that road course event on the 10th to kick off their IndyCar coverage and say, hey, look, we're at Indianapolis all month long. We got you at the road course. Um, you know, I wish they would put quals back on, on ESPN. They're probably not going to. But, That's you know, a pipe dream. Yeah. yeah, it probably is. It probably is. But I don't know what other sporting events are really going on at the end of the May, you know, at noon on Saturday. Um you know, but you could use that to build the 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 media coverage, and I, yeah. I totally agree with you, Brian. I think we've got to do something to shake this up and get eyeballs there before the drop of the green flag on a race day. I really like all of those ideas a lot, especially the idea of throwing some guys in a sprint car at IRP. My concern is, and this concern stems just from having the two races at IMS in May, is are we oversaturating the market? Are we asking too much of the the overall market that's available for ticket purchasing there? Well, nobody said you had to go out and make it a, an $80 ticket. Help make them $20 tickets. I think they'll have out. to to get people to come yeah. to the road course race. Well, think, but, but the key is getting it on TV. I, I, I agree. Yeah. That, yeah, you need to create the local buzz, but you need to create a bigger, broader buzz as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, is that. Is that IndyCar... The Indy 500 is essentially a local event and for the diehards until race day morning. And Paul, Paul brings up a good point about television. Is somehow get the television partners is that maybe ESPN does the road course race and then, I don't know, maybe this is a pipe dream, but 
Jamie Little and um, whoever else is on the uh, on the broadcast stay around and do a driver interview every day from practice, or maybe there's you know maybe there's a spot on Sports Center. If you get ABC involved from the beginning, um, I, you know, it, no one seems to like my All Star uh, race idea, which uh, which <laughs> this ain't Daytona, Brian. Sorry. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but um. I do, Paul. I do like the sprint car race idea too. I don't know necessarily where the cars would come from, but I think that those are kind of details that could be worked out. But yeah, anything that just sort of gets eyeballs on the speedway prior to the 500, because ABC shows up race day morning, and that's that. And the 500 is basically a one-day event. And then because you have Memorial Day Monday, where there's no radio coverage because everybody's at a barbecue it just sort of fades away and you've got to do something to really get the media going. You've got to do something to get yourself more coverage. And again, the road course race isn't my first idea, but it's, it's better than nothing. And it's a start. And if you could integrate maybe another idea like the sprint car race or something, I think that'd be fabulous. Well, and I guess that ultimately the positive that we can take away from this is something we've been complaining about from IndyCar for a long time is um, the idea that they've, they have a tendency to try to leave their promotion and their their building of hype to other people. And it's nice to see them looking for ideas and putting the impetus upon themselves because it's about time that somebody at 16th and Georgetown figured out that no one's going to do it for them. That's yes. not the way that sports marketing works these days. It once did, yes. it does not anymore. So good to see yeah, that happening. I like happening. the fact Miles has restructured the company. Um, I think that that is a good thing. Whether it works or not, I don't know. But I think that that has the potential to be a real positive, how he has restructured the company where IMS and IndyCar are further integrated. Uh, because I think that they have essentially operated as separate ent entities for way too long. Well, and he um, told Marshall Pruitt in Q&A this week that uh, he the search is still on for a CMO, a chief marketing officer. So right. we'll see that coming in the next little while as well. One I last topic. You, Steph. That's all you. <laughs> I don't know if I want the job. I don't. I'm <laughs> yeah. I don't. I also don't think I'm particularly qualified for the job. Besides, I'm trying to be a journalist. You got Brian out here. We'll give you the ideas. You just market them. <laughs> <laughs> We've got all the ideas. We got race control covered. We got marketing. Right. Yeah. Solve all of IndyCar's problems in one hour. Oh, believe me, I sit around and try to solve them. You know. I, you know. <laughs> okay. So one last topic before we go, um, and this is getting back to the the um, IndyCar discussions back at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park over the weekend. This talk of um, finishing the season on Labor Day is getting stronger and stronger. And this is an idea that, that I will openly and freely admit that I have supported for a long time because IndyCar trying to go up against the juggernaut that is the NFL is just really not a good idea. Um, and we've discussed that many times. But this idea within the general motorsport marketing leagues is an absolute laughingstock. One of the guys that I, that I spoke to who um, is a prominent Canadian motorsport journalist said to me over the weekend, what bigger gift could IndyCar possibly give to NASCAR than to get completely out of their faces for the entire chase? And I thought it was an interesting point. Everybody that I've spoken to has thought that it was just the most hilarious thing that they've ever heard, saying they're going to get out, out of the public eye for six months and they think this is a good idea? I didn't have uh, I, to tell them that IndyCar does that anyway, but... I disagree a little. Uh, I would I would say that 
because NASCAR suffers, not suffer, suffers isn't the right word, but NASCAR's ratings go down during the NFL. Um, I think that this idea of any by Labor Day is good if, and this is a big if, if you start earlier. Mm-hmm. And it looks as though that they're not really going to start any earlier until at least 2015. Where I think IndyCar really drops the ball is they do not take advantage. And granted, they have venue problems and such, but they don't take advantage of the prime cold weather television months in late January and February, where they could be on while people are snowed in and such. And rather, they start their season right in the middle of the NCAA tournament um, (laughs) every single year, where they could really be making hay right after the NFL ends. I would love to go to St. Pete in February. Can we do that? Yeah, I I would too. Um, But... I just it doesn't look like they're going to do that. It looks no. like it's going to start mid-March and be over by Labor Day and yeah, so I don't know. But I'll tell you what, the Canadian Tire Series, the NASCAR Canadian Tire Series starts in I think May and runs to September. So I'm just saying, right. we don't want to be making too many parallels between IndyCar and Junior Series in other in other <sighs> formulas and that's yeah. too easy to do these days. Yeah. Um Paul, anything I, to add? Oh, I was I'd just say I could not agree with Brian Moore. I you know, and I again I've beaten this drum for years. Indy how many people watch the Rolex twenty four because they are just dying for racing coverage? I mean I did, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean people watch that race and it's like, man, this is kinda of boring, but man, I love racing, Rolex twenty four. Hey, don't you be dissing Rolex twenty four? It's not that exciting. It's awesome. It's it's an impressive feature. Paul brings up a good excited. point. It's awesome because there's nothing else on. No, it's, it's not. Awesome. I don't it's not awesome because it's awesome. Ah, oh, no, no appreciation for endurance racing. No, I really don't. No, 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 not true. You're right. I, I, I honestly, I really don't. I love watching Le Mans. Um, yeah. I think they're pretty badass cars. Uh, but the Rolex 24, it's really, it's a boring race in my opinion. But I watch it, and I'll watch it about hours on end because it's racing. I haven't watched racing for, you yeah. know, three months by that point. Yeah, my wife loves the Rolex. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, if you start then, <laughs> people are desperate, and maybe you run an event or two uh, in late January or early February. Obviously, you're going against the NFL playoffs, so you really have to pick and right. choose there. Uh, you have to be and, careful though, because you run out of venues before very long. Right. Well, then I think you got to take some time off as NASCAR kicks up. You don't want. There's no sense in going against the Daytona 500 because, well, let's be honest. Most of your warm, warm weather venues are either street courses, or, or well, like I said, it doesn't make much sense because all your venues are either street courses or, or NASCAR ovals. Okay. NASCAR ovals. NASCAR doesn't let have much of a, anything during speed weeks. But I'm also very firmly of the opinion that once your season starts, you should never be taking more than two weeks off at a time. If you if you got three weeks off, that's in this day and age, that's an insurmountable gap. People people will have a really hard time following you across that gap, which is why we're at this point in the IndyCar season and we're losing people. How many people tuned into Mid Ohio again? No they were up against Tiger uh, at Mid Ohio, which and I they think had really hurt. IndyCar racing in three weeks. Well, it's going to be worse this time in, in yeah, Baltimore. It sure is. Uh, 
people, if you're off the radar for more than two weeks at a time these days and it's not your off season, people forget you exist. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that they could maybe start with a domestic event in early February before Daytona and then maybe go away. You know, you'd obviously not run the Daytona weekend, but maybe you would then work in those international races Miles is talking about. Then you, you know, come back and do St. Pete, Barber, Long Beach, so on doesn't, and so forth. Doesn't NASCAR, though, traditionally go to – they start at Daytona, go to California, Las Vegas, and then they have a week off right away? One this, week off. I know, but I mean that would be the time if you're going to start before Daytona, and then you hit that week off in there. And I, I think you just you're gotta, suggesting starting and then waiting four or five weeks before I, your second I race. I think they, Paul. I think they traditionally just take off Easter. And, Is that and, the, I thought and, they had an early, yeah. very early season off. Yeah, they traditionally take off Easter, and Easter's of course always moving around. But I, nobody I don't know. I'd have Easter. to look at that. Nobody yeah, nobody raced Easter. Easter. Well, Champ Car tried it that one time in Vegas. <laughs> in, not a I guess good it was idea. 07. Yeah, it was not a great idea. So, no. but yeah, I agree though. You, you you've got to start the, especially if you're going to end on Labor Day, which I don't like the idea, but I I, I can see where it has merit. Um, even though then you're just asking for trouble at some of these hot weather venues you're going to try to squeeze in, like Houston and, and Fontana. Um, yeah. And Baltimore of that. If, if you if you end that early, you've got to start in January, really. Yeah, I agree. Like late January, run a Saturday night. You know, between the, between the conference championships and the Super Bowl, there's that week off. You know, mm -hmm. between there, like run on that weekend. There's nothing on. I mean, nothing. And mm -hmm. people are dying for something to watch. And um, you know, IndyCar is you know sitting on their thumbs. <laughs> Yeah. Don't start an NCAA weekend again. No, but but awesome. hey, that's what they're gonna do. You know, it's it's what's gonna happen. I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate. Well, nobody listens to us, and that's why we're all here, Gavin. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I, I sit around trying to solve IndyCar's problems, and they don't listen to me. So yes. <laughs> so we're running really, really short on time. But Brian, we want to make okay. sure that you have a chance to tell us a little bit about your work at AutoRacingOne.com before you go. Oh, sure. Um, I guess I, I've been working at Air One for about a year now. Uh, I was hired as a as a columnist, um, and I, I write a weekly column on Air One. Uh, they, they tend to be, you know, opinionated type pieces. Uh, I've sort of mixed in going to, you know, I've been going to the races as well. I'm, I guess I'm learning the reporting side of the business, the learning sort of the, um, you know, the news gathering side. Uh, though it's definitely not my uh, my expertise, and you know we do, we do a lot of things. Uh, what have I done? I've, I, I've done some driver profiles. I did a historical look last year after Ryan Hunter Ray won the championship about how um, you know Hunter Ray's season and how he kind of fit in historically speaking within IndyCar racing. Uh, I've done some columns, for example, on international races. I also uh, did a column. The, the one column that got the most feedback that I did was it was a two-part series that I wrote in January about IndyCar's TV deal. And I kind of broke it down the uphill battle that IndyCar was facing on NBC Sports kind of in this era of ESPN dominance, really. Um, so do a lot of things like that and you know, I'm having a great time uh working for Air One and you know, hopefully we'll be doing it for many, many years. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, sure. and uh, really, really great to get your your opinions and particularly your your insight on uh, being a Baltimoreite. Is that a word? <laughs> How do, what do you guys yeah. call yourselves? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I live in Maryland. I live 45 minutes from Baltimore. I actually live in what would be considered the D.C. suburbs, um, you know, but I but I, I live between the two cities. Uh, but, yeah, I guess a Baltimorean. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. Uh, D.C. people have some fun with that word, believe me. So. <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So great to have you on, and uh, we'll extend our thanks again to Will Power Penske Racing for giving us some of his time as well. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time this week, and so we greatly appreciate that you've stuck it out with us and, uh, and continued to give us a listen. We will be back next week. Uh, we've got some time to fill between now and Houston, so we're probably going to try to track some people down, get some uh, <laughs> different opinions, and maybe we'll talk to some of the, the Junior Series people and see what they're up to as they start to get to the close of their season as well. Um, USF 2000 is running this weekend with Grand Am at so we should have some some news out of there to report to you as well and uh, with that I think we'll call it a day so thanks very much for listening to everyone at home and remember in the meantime if you need IndyCar news and views get a grip with more front wing